Hi, I'm Nancy Kerrigan. And I'm Aretha Franklin, and we're hosting Saturday Night Live. So give us some R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Stick to skating. <laughs> Do you like it a juice? Do you like it a juice? Um, I'm going to make a wild assumption and say you did not like watching this. Is that true? Uh, that is true. It's not the worst episode we've watched for the podcast, but probably the worst host. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah, we watched the uh, Nancy Kerrigan episode from season 19 of Saturday Night Live. And uh, this episode is kind of notorious for being, like, awful, mainly because Nancy Kerrigan's so bad. But I got a kick out of this episode. Like, I honestly really liked it. Well, I, I wouldn't say really liked it. I, I probably liked it better than its reputation. And the thing with Nancy Kerrigan, I think they knew right away that she was bad and didn't utilize her for anything other than just sort of being there and being Nancy Kerrigan. That's what's making me laugh more than anything, was just sketches where Nancy Kerrigan would just walk in and be like, Hi, I'm Nancy Kerrigan. And they'd be like, All right, Nancy Kerrigan, uh, let's go over to the sketch now. Like, why even have her there at all? It's like a less interesting version of the Hulk Hogan, Mr. T thing, where it's like, they clearly knew, but they didn't, like, it's like, I guess we'll just roll with the punches here. Why didn't they give Nancy Kerrigan the Hulk Hogan and Mr. T treatment? Just don't just, put her in any sketches. Just have her uh, flexing a weird bar thing and wearing the same <laughs> outfit for, that, for every sketch. Yeah, because before we even get into the episode proper, I mean, that is something with Sarah Night Live. Uh, they obviously knew they had a dud for a host. And Nancy Kerrigan is just hosting Saturday Night Live because she was a tabloid sensation at the time, and this was just to grab ratings. She is not anywhere near ready to be on live television in sketch comedy. That is the worst fit for her. But then why did they put her in, in the sketches at all? Why don't they just let her do a monologue, you know, give her the sports beat sketch, the one sketch that is good that she's in and then just do whatever they want. It's like, Oh, your parents are away this weekend. We don't have to cater to the host. Phil Hartman. What do you have in your back pocket? Like what's the sketch you've never gotten on Saturday night live for years. You've wanted to get on. Like, let's do that one this week. I have a theory about that. And I think that's kind of what this is. Like, do you think that the Don Mateo sketch gets on any other episode? Do you think any actual host that gives a shit is going to like read that sketch and go, yeah, I want to be the waitress in that sketch. Yeah, well, and then we got to talk about that Don Mateo sketch because that's where it's like on full display because Nancy Kerrigan is, she's almost perfectly cast in that role because that role calls for someone to be so boring that it would be absurd that anyone would be attracted to them. And so she does that just because she's so bad at being in this live sketch comedy show. So I'm curious if that is a Phil Hartman sketch that he's like had for a while and he just put it on, or if that was like, hey, Nancy Kerrigan sucks. Let's write a sketch where she can suck. And that can be the point of the sketch. And I mean, we'll get to that when we get to it, but I believe you prefaced this episode by saying, well, at least this doesn't have any racist stuff in it. Sorry, Don Mateo, everybody. <laughs> I, I did forget about Don Mateo. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, Don Mateo, I, I don't think Phil Hartman's portrayal of Don Mateo is racist. But David Spade is that Mexican donkey boy. 
I feel like they're both racist. I don't know if I can defend David Spade going, oh, here is your donkey. That's no good. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I go so far as to call Phil Hartman. Because Don Mateo doesn't necessarily have to be uh, like of Spanish okay. descent. We'll he could be putting this up. We got it. We'll talk about Don You're Mateo. wrong, we Don but we'll get to that. Because I, we could talk this whole podcast just about Don Mateo. That sketch was fascinating to me. Well, there's not much um, else to talk about, except I did want to bring up one thing. Because you talked about with uh, like the modern show, specifically like the current show, how unprofessional it always seems. Mm-hmm. And how like the 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 era just before that, you know, the 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 Bill Hader series felt more professional. It felt like they you know actually know what they're doing, and they don't break as much. And it seems like you know it's produced better. And I just with all the times like cues were missed in this show. I mean, a lot of that was Nancy Kerrigan, but it just felt like this felt more like modern SNL, where it's like a little more slapdash. I don't know. Did you notice that or? Oh no, this episode was sloppy as all hell. And I mean, I, I think you get that. Era with that. Well, no, I, I, this episode or this era kind of wasn't known for that. Um, a little bit later, you know, once Phil Hartman leaves, it gets a little bit uh, silly and goofballish. Um, but there was still an era of professionalism. I would say throughout the entire of uh, Phil Hartman's tenure, the show was like professional. Breaking was few and far between. And like when it happened, it was like, okay, I'll take that. Like, I yeah, I would laugh at that sketch as well. Now it's just like they break whenever anything happens, and then they just start giggling in every fucking sketch. This one was more professional, but with you, when you got Nancy Kerrigan at the helm, yeah, it's it's gonna be sloppy. Like, and it's just, I mean, it's fascinating to watch like to just try to think of like her thought process as she's standing there just so vacant and i mean i want to i want to excuse it i want to because i feel bad for her because she's not a performer she's a sports person she's a a skater there's no reason for her to be here but she also could have said no Mm -hmm. or like do you think she knew what she was in for because it doesn't even look like it's not that she's a bad actor She's not an actor at all. And it almost seems like she doesn't realize that she's on live television right now. Like, I don't get the sense that she's like, oh, yeah, I'm performing right now. I should be like animated, you know, like I, maybe I should put some energy in. She's just like sitting there going, hi, yeah, I'm Nancy Kerrigan. And this is what I'm saying. These are the words that are coming out of my mouth right now. It's so flat and just emotionless. No, she feels like, like she's a, just a like a fan that won a contest to be on <laughs> SNL. Like I seriously think I could be better on SNL than Nancy Kerrigan. I couldn't I, be good, but I'm better than Nancy Kerrigan. I think you could carry a sketch better than Nancy Kerrigan. Yeah, I'll give you that credit. Um, I, yeah, I think anybody could carry a sketch better than Nancy Kerrigan. This was it was bananas how bad she was. She was. Um, but be that as it may. I still enjoyed this episode. It's time to put this sordid mess behind us and clear up all the confusion that surrounds it. That's why tonight I'm here to come clean. Yes, there were many questionable transactions, conflicts of interest, and I'm sorry to say, laws were broken. And the fact is that one person and one person only bears the full responsibility for this affair. My wife, Hillary Rodham. 
we got to get to the the fucking rundown here. We got to start talking about Bill Clinton's Whitewater scandal. Which I feel like when was what year was this? Ninety four. Ninety four. So this would have been well into his presidency then, right? Uh, yeah, it'd be like two years into it. Yeah, because it just seemed like like uh, Phil Hartman's impression doesn't seem as honed as it like when I think of Phil Hartman's Bill Clinton impression. I think of like the ones where he's going into the McDonald's and you know, it's a much more of a caricature. This feels almost more like a serious impression of Clinton. Yeah, there was he he was a little um, light on his energy. I mean, the, the episode does kind of start off a little slow. Uh, and yeah, Phil probably could have made this a little more animated if he kind of amped up the absurdity of his impression. But also, I think you get that when you're a couple years into a president. It just kind of gets kind of boring a little bit and kind of old. So you just probably stop caring as much. Maybe. And I was surprised that they didn't bring Hillary Clinton into the sketch. Do you know who would have been playing Clinton at this time? Uh, No, they did not have a Hillary. Uh, Jan Hooks, who is not in this cast, came back uh, for a couple episodes to play Hillary Clinton. She cameoed. Um, Mm. But like they would not trust Melanie Hutzel or Julia Sweeney. I was going to say, that would be the next logical choice. (laughs) I know, but like, it's almost like they don't trust them. It's like, oh, no, no, Melanie Hutzel, you can be on Saturday Night Live, um, but you, you can't play the first lady. We have to like put, bring someone else in. We have to bring the lady who's not on the show anymore to play that part. You and can talk blonde. to Adam Sandler. His hairstyle, I think, is her natural <laughs> hairstyle. Yeah, you have the hairstyle. You kind of look like Hillary Clinton already. But no, you can't play Hillary Clinton. We can't have that. Well, Hillary Clinton doesn't correspond to the one thing you do, which is where you scrunch up your nose and kind of play half retarded. So I guess you can't be Hillary Clinton. But I almost—I think I might have enjoyed that. I think I might have enjoyed, like how I always call for, you know, they should have gotten Tracy Morgan to play Barack Obama. If Melanie Hutzel played Hillary Clinton on the show and that was like her go-to political impression, I think I would have found that funny. As much as I, I pointed out last time we talked about that, that I think Tina Fey specifically said, no, Tracy Morgan should never play Barack Obama. I feel like if they'd made that the joke, that he was just being Tracy Morgan, but as Barack Obama, yeah, I think that would have been fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah, he just comes out there and he's like, I got a policy! <laughs> that would have been Mitt awesome. Romney, you get out of here! Before we begin, I'd like to clear something up. When I was at Disney World... On the float with Mickey, what I actually said was, this is the horniest thing I've ever done. <laughs> but the real reason I'm happy to be on the show tonight, this is my chance to get some things off my chest. I'm here on live TV, uncensored, and I'm ready to talk. So go ahead. No topic is off limits. Ask me anything you want about the last few months over here. And uh, if this doesn't instill your confidence in the show... Uh, Nancy Kerrigan's monologue sure ain't oh, gonna do that. God, my only note is, wow, is this meandering? It's the worst. And it well, and not even just her. I mean, yeah, she's bad, but it's it's one of those things. It's the audience answering questions, and at least to their credit, they're doing picking like bringing up writers, like Dave Attell, who I guess was a writer on the show. Yeah, it was cool seeing Dave Attell, and then Sarah Silverman, who is credited as a cast member for this season, but that's like all she did. She only asked questions from the audience. So I don't know why she got the cast member credit and like Fred Wolf didn't. So fucking long. So many of them. And it's just the same joke. It's they're asking her questions, but not about Tanya Harding, because that's what everybody wants to know. Yes, over here. 
Yeah, um, I think it's very brave of you to come out here tonight and talk about Tanya Harding. I can't believe you've been quiet this long. Now, I have a question about speed skates. Why are they longer than regular figure skates? Yeah. I mean, well, it seems like you could go faster on shorter skates. Well, I don't know the physics of it, but I think the longer skates give you more leverage. Uh, yes, over here. Yeah, I got a question. Uh, wasn't it great that after uh, all those times, uh, Tanya Harding finally won a gold? I think you mean Dan Jansen. Yeah, yeah, Dan Jansen. Can I... <laughs> Did I say Dan Jansen? No, you said Tanya Harding. I did? Yeah, and Nancy Kerrigan, as we've already discussed, yeah. is just a vacuum of interesting. Like, every time the camera cuts to her, you're just like, whoa, nothing to see here, folks. It's, it's yeah, it's it's just, it's a, a black hole of charisma. And and it's like last the last week we watched the, the Steve Buscemi one, and they did something similar to this in the monologue, but it built, and it was funny. And I mean... I did say it went a little too long, but now it's like, that should have been twice the length. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Two shows with similar monologues. First of all, Nancy, thank you for being here with us. We understand you get a very, very busy schedule, and we sure do appreciate you taking time out to come out here and talk to us. Yeah, it's been really busy with Disney World and the parades in my hometown and all the interviews I've been doing. It's been great. Crazy, but great. <laughs> that's terrific. Yeah, it's been crazy since I got back, too, you know. Uh, now at the lumber yard where I work, uh, it's a busy time of year because uh, this is when we get most of our uh, wood. I was shot in the face. As you know, in the biathlon, you ski and then shoot. I was still skiing when another biathlete was shooting. Some say it cost me the silver. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did like Rob Schneider just because they go out of their way to make the fucking uh, facial shit. Like, the, like the, they put the shotgun wound on his face. So he's just so openly pathetic. Yeah. And I loved Schneider's performance in here. Just so, like, dry and matter of fact. Like, now I, I can't see out of this, this eye because I was shot in the face. And I want to say that I want to take this opportunity to say this. I'm not anti-Rob Schneider. He gets a lot of crap for some legitimately not great movies. But I think he was fine on SNL. I thought I, I've always liked him on the show. And I I don't think he's necessarily even a bad comic actor or comic presence in things. I just think he, he often set, settles for lazy material. He is often quite terrible. But he has the ability to be amusing and funny. That's my take on Rob Schneider. I think he, he's content to do things that aren't funny as long as he gets a paycheck. He'll do inappropriate comedy. You know, he'll do shit like that. But I, I don't know. I, yeah, I think he has the possibility of being funny. He just doesn't use it all that often. Yes, Rob Schneider is the one where I will start with the negative and then tell you the positive. Miss Kerrigan, I can't tell you how much it means to this town that you came down here to be in our parade. Hey, it's St. Patrick's Day. How could I say no? Oh, no, you don't understand, Miss Kerrigan. This burg has been in the crapper ever since the fish stick plant burned down. <laughs> Means a lot that sports superstar would be here for us. It's my pleasure, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> he ain't kidding, Miss Kerrigan. This town is like an old dirty toilet bowl full of puke. <laughs> and, you know, you being here is like a, a ray of sunshine or something. 
This didn't work for me at all. I, I feel like there's a weird parallel universe in which this sketch was good, and we just got the like the worst of all possible worlds version of it. Like something about just all of these people doing like Boston Irish accents. I I don't know. Like there's stuff in here that like I feel like if they just tweaked it a little bit, I might have I, I could have found my way to enjoying it. But just the way they were doing it, it was just really hateful and and bad. Uh, this was another one where like Phil Hartman, his performance wasn't working for me in this one. And now, The Denise Show, with your host, Brian. Hi, everybody. Uh, Welcome to The Denise Show. As you know, Denise is the girl who broke up with me 21 weeks ago. Uh, I loved her, but she said she needed her space. Turns out the 3rd District Court agreed with her, and uh, now I have to give her 300 feet of space at all times. Well, this is one that, like, I loved this one the first time they did it. Like, I thought it was, like, so fucking funny. But then I remember watching this when I was a kid and then going, like, why is why are they still doing this? This is one of the first recurring sketches I can remember, like, thinking, they didn't need to bring this back. Like, I didn't need to see this again. No, that's the thing. It's a solid premise. And that's all recurring sketches. I feel like they all start off well. And like, like oh, I, I can that, I can see that being funny, or maybe it is even funny. But yeah, it's just the repetition of them that that kills you. And yeah, this I mean, I felt the recurring sketchiness of this, even though I didn't even remember it. So like, it, I I felt that like I was already sick of it, even though it was only my first time. Yeah, well, because it's repeating basically the same beats of the original, but it's just not as funny as the original one because the original was new and you hadn't seen it before. And then, two, it's just they're running out of gags. Like, they used up all the best gags in the first one, so now it just feels really kind of stale. But this one was one where I loved how they included Nancy Kerrigan. As Linda, yes, his old girlfriend. My love is only you in my life. The only thing that's right My first love Your every breath that I take Your every step I make And I Uh, They bring her back in the last ten seconds so she can just sing Endless Love uh, in a duet with Adam Sandler and it is one of the worst things I've ever seen on television. But that's also why I enjoyed it. Just, yes. And this is a sketch reason... where Melanie Hutzel walked in, said her name was Denise, and then walked off. <laughs> yeah, she played a girl also named Denise. That was kind of funny. So I'm not saying I didn't like this sketch. I did kind of enjoy it. Um, but especially just the very end. Um, yeah, putting Nancy Kerrigan in there, that was just... Ugh. I love when SNL just kind of falls on its face. Like that's one of the reasons why I love th- that. I love that it's live, you know, because we get shit like this where it's just like, oh, this is a train wreck, and yeah, they just kind of do. Have, they gotta, they have to deal with it. Well, I think uh, I also I like Adam Sandler's performance in this sketch. I like that, like his sort of just simmering, bitter tone. I think that works very well. But uh, the thing is, like, to, to the extent that it kind of feels lazy. Like, I like every example of the Chris Farley show sketch. And it's the same yep. joke every time. But it's funny every time. Yeah, agreed. 
Weekend Update with Kevin Nealon. Good evening, I'm Kevin Nealon. What do you think of Kevin Nealon? Did Kevin you Nealon? Like Is this the first Kevin Nealon we've had? I think so. I remember liking him more as a kid than I do now. I felt like it was just kind of mediocre. Yeah. Uh, look, in retrospect, I do not like Kevin Nealon Weekend Updates. Um, but at the time, I thought he was, like, really fucking funny. But also, like, he was silly. So, like, um, I got him more than I got Dennis Miller. Because yeah. I remember when I was watching Saturday Night Live as a kid, I never got Dennis Miller jokes. Ever. Like, I watched it, but I was like, I don't get this. Kevin Nealon, like, I got his jokes. Like, some of his jokes were just like, let's take a look at the Doppler radar. And then he just looks at the Doppler radar and is like, I get that joke. And and I'll say I like Kevin Nealon in general. Like, as a comedian, I love, he was the one good thing in Bucky Larson Born to be a Star. That's true. You know, I, I enjoy him generally. I liked him on Weeds. But, uh, yeah, it's just I, I, this just was kind of – and part of it is – what I always call the South Park factor, but I guess it could be the SNL factor, just the idea of when you're as topical as these shows have to be, inevitably you get the jokes that I just don't care about because I'm not living in 1994 or whatever. Well, that's true. But, like, I don't know. I can watch a Norm MacDonald weekend update, and I don't get the topical jokes, but I still get the jokes because his punchlines are usually, like, Marion Barry smokes crack. And it's like, okay, yeah, I get that. But it's like, I think you have to have somebody that funny. You have to have somebody like Norm to transcend the, the gravitational pull of, of how topical it is that you have to, like, imagine your way around this premise where, like, there's part of it you probably just don't understand because you don't remember. But, you know, somebody as funny as Norm can, can you know, overcome that. Whereas somebody like Kevin Nealon, maybe not. Yeah. Do, do, what, does anybody like Weekend Update? <laughs> Uh, dad does. I was talking to him just the other day and I, and we were talking about the podcast and I said, yeah, we can update. We think it's the thing that they should just get rid of. And he's like, oh no, that's always my favorite part. Well, like the show now, like I will give credit for to Colin Jost and Michael Che, but it also, it feels like they wrote those jokes, you know? So it's like, okay, I'm just watching them read jokes that they wrote. But yeah, this era of Weekend Update with Kevin Nealon, I like the silly stuff. It feels like Kevin Nealon. But then when he's just telling jokes about the news, uh, you know, just listen to the joke. It's not funny. It's not Kevin Nealon not making it funny. He's just reading a bad joke. Why didn't they just cut those jokes? Who gives a fuck? I guess it's my question about everything that's bad on Saturday Night Live. Why did they put it on the show to begin with? Like, do you need Weekend Update to be seven minutes long? Like, is that, like, contractually obligated? Maybe if you don't have good jokes, just do the good jokes. Because the audience doesn't seem to like this at all. They're not howling with laughter. Just, uh, some of the jokes, they're just kind of politely going like, huh, yeah, oh, okay. Well, the problem is your question is predicated on the notion that SNL is willing to alter its traditions when they seem inefficient or ineffective. And that has, I don't think, ever been the case. Yeah, they'll keep doing the same thing. Until they have to change because they're almost going to get canceled. Yep. Talk about just all the dumb shit they do. Like we we talked about, like the writing process, staying up late rather than just banking sketches. Like you, some sketches are topical, some aren't. So bank the ones that aren't and just you know have them there, you know. Or just the inefficient way they pick which sketches get on. The fact that you have all these great sketches that that never get on, but fucking blackface gets on every week. 
<laughs> you know, like something's wrong there. So, and they won't ever examine themselves and go, what is wrong? Why did it take fucking 40 years to hire an Asian person? Boss, boss, I got this great sketch. Does it have blackface in it? Well, no. Okay, well, this guy's sketch has blackface. They just won't change what they do, ever. Never will, never will. And I don't know why I'm angry about it, because I, I already hate the show. You know what it might be, now that I think of it? I wonder if it's because, like, they're not there the whole week. Like, I bet you, this is Phil Hartman's last season. I bet you he wasn't there all week rehearsing this. He might He was probably filming a movie, doing, like, commercials and shit. So I wonder if maybe that's why his performance seems a little off, like not as, you know, uh, tight as it usually is, because he just didn't have the time to rehearse. He was too busy. He's he's becoming a fucking star. He can't be rehearsing the Nancy Kerrigan sketch all week. I mean, he knew what was going on. Uh, But no, like this is going to bomb. I'm not going to put the effort into this shit. (laughs) I had the opposite uh, theory. I think the reason it gets bad is because when the people stay on too long, they have more control. So uh, now you have like Keenan Thompson, who is not funny, having more of a say in what sketches get on and don't because he mm. just had, sort of has seniority. That could be too. Yeah. So like the funnier sketches are from the new people that like never get on because they, they aren't able to compete in the weird fucking dog eat dog, needlessly convoluted competitive nature of that writer's room where instead of just everybody dropping their egos and saying, hey, let's just make the best show we can. They go, well, no, Keenan Thompson's been here for fucking 20 years, and he's got a sketch he wants to do, and it sucks, but he well, has more pull than you, than you do. I don't know if you can say that. I mean, I mean, and we're only talking about, you know, what we've heard from SNL lore, you know, about how cutthroat the show is. But um, that is the, you know, kind of what they want to portray, that, you know, you cut your teeth at SNL, you don't get anything on for the first year, you know, and if you... St- stay in there maybe you get your sketch on and then you can get everything you know and then you stay on forever um but like how it's hard to get your shit on there um why does it have to be like that why why can't it just be like hey you're a funny guy we're gonna hire you on our show do you have funny ideas okay write down your funny ideas and then like we'll we'll do them (laughs) like it doesn't have to be like what do you got this week all right write it now okay we're gonna perform it on wednesday it's like remember that funny idea you had a month ago let's do that man i honestly and i I think it's a little trumpian honestly i think norman michaels has always had this idea about the show that it's almost like a survival of the fittest thing he likes the chaos and he likes to kind of you know get everybody riled up because he thinks that's where the best comedy comes from which i I feel like is an old like again I, i bring it up like a michael donahue kind of idea but I don't think it's ever been true. And I think he just found his way to a successful show by accident and has never really known how to run it well. You know, we're kind of being too general, like, you know, making claims of how they run the show because it could be the exact opposite. It could just be totally unorganized and like, there's nobody like really running the thing. So like if somebody came in and said like, Oh yeah, why don't you write a good sketch? And then we'll, you know, we'll work on that sketch. And even if the sketch doesn't get on this week, we'll still work on that sketch for next week, you know, and we'll make it the best it can be. There's nobody doing that. It's just people, you know, smoking weed and going, Oh fuck. What should I write this week? Oh, God damn it. I got to write a sketch. Fuck. I guess I'll turn this in. Maybe it's just that. 
we're also always ignoring the head writer. Because, like, I wouldn't be surprised if when we're thinking of, like, errors of the show and better versus worse, I wonder, like, like the Seth Meyers years versus now the Colin Jost years versus the Tina Fey years and back and forth. But, like, I wonder if, like, whatever the regime is there, like, I don't think Nor- Lauren Michaels is governing day to day. I feel like it's whoever the head writer is, he, they, they kind of set the tone for how it's run. Maybe. But yeah, maybe not. Maybe it's just like the most disorganized work environment. And they're just like, yeah, you know, this is we we just write sketches here. You know what? And, you know, what if it doesn't get on? Yeah, whatever. Fuck that sketch. Uh, Write another sketch next week. You know, whatever. I don't know. I feel like it's too many people have talked about how just demoralizing it is that I feel like there has to be some kind of like Hunger Games style fucking thing that that they're put under. Uh, I guess we'll never know, but uh, and that's also kind of the mystique of it. We'll never know. We'll never know the days and hours and weeks that were uh, spent planning the Don Mateo sketch. There she is, the hot-blooded senorita I told you of. Oh, she's very pretty, Don Mateo. Oh, yes, but she has a fiery temper. <laughs> Her blood runs hot like the lava in a volcano, and if you get too close. Tss- you get burned. <laughs> and that doesn't scare you away, Don Mateo? Not at all. The more she spits fire, the stronger my love grows. Shh. Here she comes. Hi. My name is Stacy. I'm your waitress today. And I'll be right back. And I'll be um, telling you our specials in just a minute. <laughs> Someday, my friends, I will turn that burning heart of anger into a heart of love. <laughs> Well, good luck. <laughs> oh, we got Don Mateo. So to set this up for the person who hasn't seen it, we got Norm MacDonald and Mike Myers. Uh, they're like tourists at a Mexican resort, and they're having drinks with Phil Hartman as Don Mateo. And Don Mateo is speaking eloquently about the, you know, the fiery temper on the waitress that works here and how uh, she seduces him with her charms and uh, wows him when she uh, serves him at this thing. And he's telling tales about this waitress, but then Nancy Kerrigan shows up and she's just like, Hey, um, I'm going to be your waitress. Here's, here's your menus. And he's like, huh? (laughs) You see what I mean? (laughs) You see how she tortures me no? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Actually. um, Are you sure she's the one you're talking about, Don? Of course. Are you sure, Don? Because, you know, a lot of these waitresses look similar with the outfits and all, you know? <laughs> Just wait, my American friends. You shall see. Oh, uh, you know, that's, yes, that's the premise, yes. But that doesn't even begin to describe just how awful and just offensively bad and just offensive the sketch is. Because Don Mateo, as you might imagine based on the name, is like a, a, a really cheesy Spanish stereotype played by phil hartman again it's it's basically brownface um see i don't i won't go there at all because you don't know don mateo's origins don mateo could be a white man who grew that mustache and just speaks in this accent now so he's just just a cultural appropriator then he could be completely full of shit because this sketch is this sketch is so weird like if, if there was another Don Mateo sketch and he was like, actually, my name's Dave and I'm from Cleveland. I just put on this accent when I moved to Mexico. Like, I would believe that. 
you have to think something's off about Don Mateo when he rides off on a stuffed donkey that he treats as real. Wait, was the donkey supposed to be real? Oh, I was the donkey was supposed to be real. Oh, okay. So they were just using a prop donkey to represent a real donkey. Because at the yeah. end of the sketch, Don Mateo think... rides off on a donkey. But it's not a real donkey. That was like a Spike Jones-esque indication that this was all a fantasy in Don Mateo's mind. <laughs> I thought that was a revelation that Don Mateo was just an insane man. Like, obviously, he's talking about Nancy Kerrigan's character like she is the most fascinating woman. And then Nancy Kerrigan comes to the table and just goes, uh, you want the tuna or the steak? And he goes, oh, at one point, I love that Phil Hartman fucked up his line, but he he didn't even make a bit of it. But he does say at one point, the anger I will, have the, anger. <laughs> I will have the tuna seared in the anger of your fiery anger. Hi, uh, I'll have the seared tuna. Yeah, me too. I, too, will have the tuna seared in the anger of your fiery anger. Okay, so that's three sear tunas. <laughs> was that a messed up line or was that written? See, I don't know. I don't know if this sketch is purposefully telling you Nancy Kerrigan is shit and that's why we're making fun of her and how bad she is in this sketch. Or if that's just like a happy coincidence and this is just a bad sketch that Nancy Kerrigan is awful in. I can't tell where if I like this sketch intentionally or ironically. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I like it ironically. I don't know that I like it intentionally. But I think going back to the donkey and whether it's real or not, because then is is David Spade the donkey boy just a figment of his imagination, like a Sancho Panjo or something? Panjo or something? No, I well, I imagine <laughs> this is my head canon of the Don Mateo sketch. <laughs> I imagined that David Spade's Mexican donkey boy was real, but like Don Mateo is insane, but he's also wealthy. So everyone treats him like, oh yeah, this is Don Mateo. He's, you know, the the greatest man. Of course, this is your donkey. Like they're all humoring him because so he's so Spade rich. David Spade is playing a Spanish character in a racist caricature. He's playing a, a, a white guy pretending to be a Spanish caricature for the purposes of uh, seducing this this crazy person and out of his money. I, I didn't think of that, but I will agree to that. I, if if you say David Spade is actually not Mexican in the sketch, then that makes the sketch make more logical sense. Well, as long David as you Spade's agree that it doesn't accent. make it less racist. <laughs> it does kind of because, well, um, because we're playing on Don Mateo's, um, you know, uh, uh, depictions of what he thinks a Mexican donkey boy would be. <laughs> <laughs> if that joke, if this reveal had actually been in the sketch they'd made it explicit like halfway through mike myers is like what the hell is this donkey boy and then he asked talks to him he's like yeah we just do this because he's really rich if that had been the actual like punchline of the sketch it would have redeemed all of it and i would have loved it yeah it did need that stinger but i again i don't know if they're going for it but if they're not going for it then like if nancy kerrigan wasn't so terrible this sketch wouldn't make sense, right? So, like, if they did this sketch with a good actress, like, if Demi Moore was, like, serving the drinks in this sketch, this sketch wouldn't make any sense because she would be alluring and what Phil Hartman was saying would make sense. Well, but I think a good actress could also play down. She could play boring. 
Uh, okay, so play it like that, she'd just be better. She, you know, she was acting. Uh, okay, yeah, I guess maybe. But then the fact that Nancy Kerrigan is also like flubbing her fucking lines too. <laughs> the idea that they had this sketch in their back pocket, like we know we're gonna get a shitty actress at one point that's not gonna that's gonna be really wooden. Let's have this in our back pocket ready for that. That feels too far fetched to me. So you okay? So you don't think that part was intentional? Because that's what I couldn't wrap my head around. I something in my head made me think that some writer was like, "Oh my God, Nancy Kerrigan has the charisma of a plank of wood. Like, wouldn't it be funny if Phil Hartman was like, oh, look how you know hot she is, and you know how fiery her temper is, and she was just going like, here's your menus, here's the tuna, Stacy, por favor." Tell these gentlemen what brings you to Mexico and tell them every fiery detail. Well, I'm a junior at the University of Wisconsin majoring in communications and I'm taking two language credits here at the Puerto Vallarta Extension Campus. I'll be right back with your food. (laughs) You see? But I could not stop laughing at this Don Mateo sketch. I was howling with laughter, like with how bad it was bombing. no. This was like the quintessential terrible SNL sketch. Like bad sketches like this is like that. That's my mwah. I love that. This feels like a parody of a bad sketch. Like if you ever saw the the Aaron Sorkin show Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, yeah. this would be like a sketch you would see in the background where everybody Matthew Perry would be going like, why did we pick that sketch? That's terrible. Like it's, that doesn't even feel like a real bad sketch. <laughs> I did want to go back to the beginning because there was one I was just talking about Michael My- or Mike Myers in the, in the sketch in the first the cold open why did they bother dressing him up as George Stephanopoulos just to go here's the president and then walk away <laughs> uh, I don't know maybe to give him a line you know I don't know it just felt weird because and that goes into the next sketch which has the most unnecessary makeup I've ever seen in a sketch why does Tim Meadows have a fucking fag fat makeup on? Tim Meadows is Greg Gumble, yeah. So unnecessary the makeup on Greg. And then like David Spade's got like this balding thing. Like I know they're playing real people, but I don't remember who any of them are. And it doesn't even matter. Why couldn't they just be generic sportscaster people? Yeah, they didn't even need to be in the sketch. This sketch is Chris Farley ice skating. Just play that video. You don't need to set it up. Um, but uh, this is a classic sketch. This is just, I, I I loved this. Every fucking second of this I loved. Well, it's just Chris Farley being Chris Farley, and he's great. Yeah. He's classic. Yeah, this is uh, Chris Farley and Nancy Kerrigan are an ice skating duo, but uh, Chris Farley's character had has had a bit of a weight gain, and then so they're skating together, but then he starts running out of breath, uh, and then he falls at the end, and... Uh, can't get back up because of his weight gain. This is just like every muscle in Chris Farley's body is just like perfectly honed for this physical comedy bit. Wolfgang designs their costume. Yes, yeah, stunning. And he does all of their choreography. Scott, the main disadvantage to Wolfgang's weight gain. Endurance, mainly. He has yet to make it through the four-minute free dance in practice. I mean, it's been talked about many times before, but just how graceful he was that he could pull something like this off. 
Can oh, you the, ice skate? Yeah, you know, no, fuck no, I can't ice skate. Uh, yeah, I can't fucking ice skate. Chris Farley's got two hundred pounds on me, and he just looks like a fucking like little princess out there on those on those skates. It, and it's so because this like just is beautifully builds because he's so graceful to begin with, and it's not funny. It's just you're watching Chris Farley and Nancy Kerrigan ice skate. They're just ice skating, and you're like, wow. Chris Farley's really good at fucking figure skating, but then he hits the wall and falls down and you're like, Oh, okay. Now we're, now we're into it. But no, I mean, and I would say the same for the Chippendale sketch. He's a really good dancer. Yeah. Even if it's a goofy, you know, funny dance. Yeah. No, he's, he was a ballerina, man. He was a ballerina in a sumo wrestler's body. Mr. Eisner wearing a silver medal with a snow white outfit. There's just something. So I don't know. What corny. Well, yeah. You think this is corny? Just wait. Here. Put this on. Now look, the park is going to open in five minutes. You just stand here and greet the people as they come in and remind them not to forget what parking section they're in. How long do I have to stand here? Well, Mickey will come get you when it's time for lunch. This really is corny. What the fuck is this Disney World thing? Well, they made a joke about it in the monologue. Do you remember the scandal when Nancy Kerrigan said, she said, this is the corniest thing I've ever done? Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. It it was a scandal. Like, it was a tabloid sensation because, uh, you know, she's doing all these commercials and stuff. She's getting all these endorsement deals. um, And one of the things she was paid to do was just, like, stand next to Mickey Mouse and wave. Um, and then she was, she, someone heard her say, this is the corniest thing I've ever done. And then like that got to the papers. They were like, oh, Nancy Kerrigan's so ungrateful. Like she slaps Mickey Mouse in the face with her corny comment. So yeah, this is all, this Disney runner is all based on that. It is one of the worst things I've ever seen on the show. Well, like the first one, cause I, I didn't realize it was a runner at first. And the first one just ends so abruptly and it's just like, I don't even fucking know what the hell I'm supposed to think. And then it keeps coming back. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess they're building to something. And then they don't build to anything. And then you think it has a punchline, but it doesn't. And then it's weird that, like, the rest of this show, after the uh, Chris Farley ice skating, we get Aretha Franklin musical performance. Then we get the start of this runner. We get an Ellen Cleghorn sketch. And then we get the, the final two beats of the runner. And then another Aretha Franklin song. So I'm wondering if maybe they had another one planned, but maybe it got cut, you know? Well, it makes no sense to have two iterations of the same running sketch back to back. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they kept going back to Billy Martin. Like, it would make no sense to have, like, both of the locker room scenes next to each other. Yeah. And also just really weird that this is so short, has no punchline. But, like, they built the teacup? <laughs> Yeah, no, they built a whole fucking set. Well, that's what I, when I when I think about the, the the makeup and the skating sketch, like you did all of that, or you put Mike Myers and George Stephanopoulos outfit, like for one line. Why? Yeah, we didn't really touch on that. Tim Meadows is in uh, like weird uh, Greg Gumbel makeup, but he only has like five four lines in the in the thing. He just says, "Hey, like, here's the." The other guys to introduce. He introduces the people who introduce the Chris Farley video. And they only have a couple lines, but David Spade has like a fucking balding cap with like a hair thing. Yeah, he can be cut entirely from the sketch, 
But yeah, what was going like the makeup artist is like, oh, this Greg Gumble makeup looks so good on you, Tim Meadows. I can't wait to see this Greg Gumble sketch you're in. And he's like, oh yeah, I have two lines at the beginning of this sketch. And the makeup well, it, artist is like, why am I spending so much goddamn time on this then? And it took me out of it because I kept waiting for it to go back to him. And I like they were setting up like a scanner's joke or something, like where his head was going to explode. <laughs> like that's where they put the squibs in or something. I don't know, but. And it comes yeah. to nothing. And then you're th- talking about this fucking teacup. Think of the poor fucking construction worker who gets to work one day and he's like, oh, what are we doing today, boss? Oh, I'm making a giant teacup. All right. And he's banging pieces of wood together. I don't know anything about construction, but I'm I'm assuming that's how you make a teacup. You just, and you, he's, you, you take a hammer and you bang stuff and then eventually things are built. <laughs> and then eventually it's a teacup. If I bang this wood with this hammer enough, a teacup will form. Um, so yeah, he's making this teacup, and then he's like getting home on Saturday night, and he's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, fuck it, I'll watch this show tonight." Oh, hey, there's that teacup I built. That's that's all they're gonna do with that fucking teacup. It was in a two second Nancy. And she said she said this was corny while she was inside my teacup. Well, okay. But I spent all is, fucking week building that goddamn teacup. I feel like literally everyone involved in the Nancy Kerrigan episode of SNL had some measure of that experience. I put in some degree of effort, and this is what came of it? <laughs> oh, man, imagine the fucking rap party for this. They're all just <laughs> sitting quietly at the restaurant like, <sighs> one day, one day I'll have it back. I'll remember what good work was. But yeah, I, that's the thing. And then we get the, the, the fucking... I just I literally just have it in my notes as the Black Sketch with Ellen Cleghorn. Black rhythm and blues singers today. Um, I don't get this one. Not long ago, you overcame an addiction. An addiction to cigarettes. And you overcame it. <coughs> yes, yes, I did. It wasn't easy keeping out of the refrigerator, though. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to bolt it down. Oh, and yeah. Put the chains on the yeah, door. Yeah, no, that's right. Like that. Hey, <laughs> girlfriend. Oh, but yeah. But the brothers don't seem to mind. No, they don't. I hear that. I don't hear no complaints. <laughs> All right, now. Well, I, I get it being a white, white privileged racist man. <laughs> Knowing the joke is that she like there's the idea of like acting black versus acting professional, which is is itself a really disgusting fucking yeah, of things. Well, but if if you take the racial context out of it, um, like you don't say that when Chris Farley's fucking up his interview, you know, you don't go all fat white guys fuck up interviews. But she's not fucking up the interview by being just nervous or whatever. That is something that transcends race. She is deliberately like she's being like gonna, like wild in a way that you would associate with black people specifically. Like it's it's like it's like the stereotype of when black people get excited when she's talking to Aretha Franklin, where she keeps trying to go back and be like you know professional. Which you know again in the context of the racism of the sketch is like she's either acting white, i.e. professional, or acting black, i.e. unprofessional. I don't not to not say that I believe that, but I think that's kind of the premise or at least the joke of the sketch yeah and that's with this sketch um i had i questioned i was like is this racist i don't know and then i wanted to say no but i guess maybe you know 
if you're questioning if something's racist or not, the answer usually is it is. But the fact that it's called black rhythm and blues singers today, like specifically black, puts a uh, a racial context. I think if this was just Ellen Cleghorn giving an interview to Aretha Franklin, if they didn't call it black rhythm and blues singers, I don't think I would have made that connection. And I don't think I would have had an issue with it. I would have just thought Ellen Cleghorn was, you know, messing up the interview being unprofessional, you know, or like, you know, doing whatever this is. And then I can't tell if the sketch is trying to tell me that her professionalism is wrong or supposed to be funny. Also, it's not very well performed. Like it needs to be bigger. It also needs to be clearer with its point. So yeah, I don't know if it's racist or just not that well handled. Well, the thing is, I think it's both. I don't think those are mutually exclusive. I think that because the thing is, you, you, you're you tempted to say, well, Ellen Clayton and Rachel Franklin did the sketch, so it can't be racist. They're both black people. But then you have like Denitra Vance where she was like constantly saying, like, no, they're putting me in racist sketches that I don't want to be in. Yeah, but we don't know the backstory. You know, we don't know if this was some white guy writing this going, hey, wouldn't it be funny if it was, you know, since it's black rhythm and blues singers today, like maybe it was an unprofessional show. Or if this was just Ellen Cleghorn going like, I want to interview Aretha Franklin and I this is would be funny. This is what I want to do. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. And yeah, there is enough leeway in the presentation of the sketch itself that either of those things could be true. But I don't know. I Just given the history of this show, I lean more towards the former. Yeah, I can't tell um, what angle this sketch is, is coming from. I, I don't know who's who's telling me this sketch, you know. And so that brings up an interesting question. If this sketch was on in living color, would it even be would you even have the question about it? No, but but that's again because the context of the show that it's on, I know living color isn't racist. Right. Because we know where it's coming from. Yeah. We're like, oh no, this is just a fun sketch that this was just a sketch they wanted to do. But yeah, when it's coming from SNL, I'm like, fuck, is this racist or not? I don't know. Well, because you can't give him the benefit of the doubt anymore because we just watched fucking Terry Sweeney in blackface exactly. in the theater. This show has a lot of fucking blackface on it. That's, I, I want to say that now because I just listened to the episode of the Terry Sweeney episode back. Um, and I, we, you know, we were talking about Jimmy Fallon and all that too. I remember recording that and going like, this isn't my place to like speak out. You know, like I don't want to talk about this because I don't want... I am going to talk about it now. It's fucking awful. It was always fucking awful. Don't do the shit. And when I see it, I'm going to fucking point it out. I'm going to say, this show's fucking racist. My, my instinct is defend, to defend Saturday Night Live and go like, well, you know, it was a different time then, you know. Uh, this is my, it's one of my favorite shows. It can't be racist. Fuck it. It was. Probably still is. Well... And there's an interesting news story. I don't know if you saw that. That's SNL related. Uh, that apparently Thirty Rock had four episodes featuring blackface that Tina Fey did, like went out of her way to like pull from syndication and from streaming services. Oh no, I didn't know that. And I remembered a couple of them, but I was like, wow, there were four of them. And yeah, like four freaking examples of blackface. And my thought going into that was like, okay, yeah, sure, good for you. You're pulling them now. But at the time, like I can believe in the Terry Sweeney's day that the writer's room was so lacking black voices and just so obtuse that nobody ever said like, is, was this bad? Is this a bad thing to do? At least that's, that's enough benefit of the doubt. I'm willing to give that, that no, maybe nobody told them and they were just dumb. This, that 30 rock was a fucking, you know, high class, high brow show. They had black writers. Nobody at all four of those times ever brought that up or 
they did. And Tina Fey had a defense at the time. She was like, yeah, I know what you're saying, but I'm going to do it anyway because here's my artistic defense of using blackface in this moment. And then now, years later, when we're like, fuck your artistic defense for blackface, now she's like, oh, no, it was it was wrong. It's like, well, where the fuck were you then? Well, uh, what was the context? I mean, the context shouldn't matter, but, I mean, if it is something like, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, now I'm... <laughs> Oh, fuck. Well, I hate to get in this argument of like when it's okay and when it's not. I mean, one it should never was, be okay. One of them was uh, Jane Krakowski's character and and Tracy Morgan. They're arguing about who has it worse, a black man or a white woman. And so they, they literally switch places with makeup. But the joke of it yeah. is everybody goes like, dude, you cannot do that. Like, I was going to say, if the joke is, you know, how dumb you would have to be to do it, then that's that's okay, I think. If you're using it at, to... Uh, to prove a point, then I, I don't I don't think it's bad. If you're doing it just because to do it, then I think it's bad. But that's the thing. It's like, uh, you know, I, and I, I would almost say that because, yeah, pretty much every example that I saw, I, I didn't recognize all of them. But like one was the John Hamm episode where they did like the Amos and Andy thing. I don't know if you remember that. No, I don't. It was one of their live episodes and they were talking about like the history of television. And they had this flashback to like a an obviously racist uh, show at the time where it was John Hamm and Tracy Morgan, but John Hamm was in blackface as a black guy. Oh, and the I sketch was Tracy Morgan, like, just kept wanting to, the actor he was playing at the time in the sketch was, we just wanted to punch him in the face the whole time. Okay, you know, so that's, you know. All right. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. Is that racist? I guess, yeah, it's probably racist, sure. Why not? Well, it, the if thing it is, offends it, anybody, it's then not yeah. racist in its intent, and I totally absolve Tina Fey of that I would say she was trying to make a point but there is a point where you just say certain imagery and you can use it there's nothing wrong with it I mean you can use it you're an artist you can do whatever the fuck you want as an artist but if you want to be a good artist if you want to be or at least if you want to be successful at conveying the thing you're trying to convey at some point you have to think like this imagery is just too loaded a black or a real black person in the real world sees that blackface and it brings back generational memories of fucking being shit on by our culture yeah is it worth it even for a, a, a cogent and correct observation about race in america maybe not yeah and i'm just thinking about it now you know because i'm like well all right you explained to me that john ham blackface bit and i'm like all right well the point of that sketch is that blackface was wrong and then someone would a real black man would want to punch that man okay that's that's a fine bit would i do it fuck no I wouldn't be, I wouldn't do it. Like no. you, there's no way you would ever like, I don't ever in my life. I can't say like, Oh, it was a different time then. I always knew. Well, that's, that's the thing. The minute you're, you're sitting down and maybe they explain the sketch to you and maybe it's not apparent to you right away that it's meant for blackface, but like, Oh, it's not, wait, you want me to do kind of a weird, like black character or something? What? And then like the minute it's like, Oh no. And we're going to bring out the makeup and you're going to put blackface on you. How does anybody not go like, wait a minute? No, this is not a good idea. Yeah. How is it? How is Jane Krakowski sitting in that makeup chair and getting the blackface makeup and going, "This is a, a hilarious commentary." Like, yeah. No. <laughs> and I get why Tina Fey probably did it for that reason. She didn't want Jane Krakowski and John Hamm and these people to suffer the backlash that Jimmy Fallon's getting. But you know, still, it's yeah. just like you did that. Own up to that. Don't just act like, oh well, it's bad now because everybody says it's bad now. Own up to why you thought it was good then. Um, yeah, why was it okay back then if it ain't good now? Uh, answer was, it wasn't okay back then. But, um, that's, that's but anyway, 
<laughs> anyway, we were talking about Ellen Cleghorn. Um, <laughs> so on the subject of Ellen Cleghorn. And then just end, because there's nothing else to talk about Ellen Cleghorn. <laughs> um, this also had Ellen Cleghorn's daughter in it. Uh, she played uh, Tim Meadows' daughter in the first Disneyland runner. Uh, I always like seeing Ellen Cleghorn's daughter in there if you're a fan of this era of SNL spotting Ellen Cleghorn daughter cameos. That's probably something that's only interesting to me. So I will move on. Well, you'll talk about that on your other podcast, the Ellen Clayhorn's Daughter podcast, which is just about appearances by Ellen Clayhorn's daughter. I get deep into each one, baby. <laughs> I I got the episodes time stamped for every Ellen Clayhorn daughter appearance. All right. So to round out the Nancy Kerrigan episode of Saturday Night Live, what would you say is the best sketch of the episode? Yeah, I'd probably agree. Sports beat. <laughs> Honestly, with the Denise show probably being a close second. Really? Not Lilyhammer Olympics? Not Chris Farley? You know, I it's not that funny, ultimately. It's it's a great, it's just a, a showcase of their talent, of his talent, certainly, and hers as well. But it's not really laugh out loud. I kind yeah, of just, all right. it kinda fades away from me. All right. I'll, I'll take it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm picking sports beat for my favorite sketch. Least favorite sketch, though. Ooh, that's a toughie. Um, well, Don Mateo, I got ironic enjoyment out of. I'm going to say the Irish sketch, the Irish people. Yeah. St. Patrick's Day Parade, probably my week one, too. Um, yeah. Because Don Mateo, Don Mateo is a classic. No, it is not. And neither it's, is this It's bad, but that's what I that's what I remember from this Nancy Kerrigan episode. Like, when we talked about watching it, that's what I remember. That's what stuck in my head. I kind of forgot that the Chris Farley uh, ice skating thing was in this one. But when I was like, oh, we're watching the Nancy Kerrigan episode, I remember that sketch about this Spanish guy who loved her, but she was, she was like really dull and boring. Like, that's what stuck out in my head. So moving on, I guess we will decide what we're doing for next week. Would you like to pick a number between 1 and 158? All right, well, let's go with 100. Ooh, 100 even. Uh, you may want to pick another one. <laughs> That's, of course, uh, Ego Nodum. Is he in anything? Ego Nodum is a woman. <laughs> is she in anything? Who is she? Who the fuck is she? I don't know this person. Who did you, who did you think he was? Are oh, you I, just the super? I assume that's somebody from the current cast or something. It is. It is. Ego Nordum is the uh, the uh, black female featured performer. I, wait, is she full cast? No, I think she's still featured player. I thought we talked about this, George. <laughs> not putting those people on the list. Pick another. Pick another number. We're not doing Ego Nordum. <laughs> okay, ninety nine. You're gonna have to pick another one. <laughs> what is it? God damn it! Our podcast sucks. That's so Luke Knoll. Who is it? Luke Knoll. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> he was a featured player on season 44, 43. <laughs> one season wonder. Didn't get a lot of air time. Right. This is the um, last one. It's, it's this person or bust. I'm going uh, sexy. I'm going 69. 69. Yeah, we used to not record this. But now over Skype, like we just keep it running. I, um, I think it's interesting. Yeah, 69. Oh, that is a sexy one. That's sexy David Cameron. 
I feel like we've exhausted David, unless you want to watch The Comebacks, which I think you said is one of the worst movies you've ever seen. I did on our previous Bucky Larson podcast. I did mention that The Comebacks is a movie we could watch. I think my exact words were, we could watch this for the podcast, but I would never want to watch this for the podcast. All right. Hey, so next week it's The Comebacks starring David Koechner. That movie is so... So bad, I don't think I could watch it. Is it possibly worse than A Haunted House, which David Koechner is also in? Look, he's in a lot of shit. Oh, man. David Koechner is a good one. Uh, Out Cold. I've never seen it. Oh, yeah, I remember that's a... I remember Zach Galifianakis is in this, but it was before he was like a star. Yeah, I remember seeing him in it. It's like, and all I'd ever seen him in was the Comedy Central special he did. Yeah, and I was like, oh man, this guy's like a. <laughs> that was just me being dumb. I was like, wow, Zach Galifianakis is blowing up. He's in the movie Out Cold. <laughs> that's going to just light up the old career. That movie that's going to be in a blockbuster bin. I feel like search engine optimization, it's, <laughs> it's going to blow up. I, you know what? August 2020 is really going to be the the month and year that Out Cold really skyrockets in popularity. Well, I feel like people are like the, like it's trending on Twitter. You know, Black Lives Matter, Out Cold. <laughs> out <laughs> cold. <laughs> okay, we do have um, my boss's daughter. Uh, oh, David Keckner is in Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector. I mean, it's also probably going to be a good podcast episode. I will want to hate. I want to kill myself by the end of it. But oh man, do we? Uh, he's in Snakes on a Plane. He's in the Comebacks. Um, I don't think I want to watch a bad comedy. Like he's in because he's in Semi Pro, Drill Bit, Taylor, Get Smart, Balls of Fury, Extract, yeah. Waiting, The Goods, Piranha Three Double D. Well, that most of what he does is going to be bad comedies. Yeah. Um, I think a boss's daughter works. Larry the Cable Guy works. Yeah. I, the fact that I'm even fucking saying that means our podcast is sucks and we shouldn't do it. But do you want to watch Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector? Because I'll watch that movie. Sure. Fuck it. Why not? <laughs> it's got a five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's probably fucking higher than Bucky Larson. It's five points higher than Bucky Larson was a zero. This is a five. <laughs> it's like at this point, like fucking just fuck me in the ass with bad movies. Just <laughs> why? Why should I even? Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, we could watch an episode from season twenty, or we could watch Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector. <laughs> We've watched too many episodes. We gotta watch a movie. I know, and I never because I don't know who listens to the podcast because nobody emails me. Hey, if you listen to this shit, email me and tell me what you want us to do. Oh, Episodes of movies. A weeks ago, didn't we? Yeah, I know. Um, but like, I wonder if there's one guy who listens to our podcast who's like, man, I just like the episodes where they talk about SNL. And then we're like, you want to watch Bucky Larson? Uh, I know our friend Nate, our mutual friend Nate is like that. He says he prefers our SNL episodes at this point. Oh, really? Yeah. But the, like, there's one guy who's like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to watch Bucky Larson. I don't want to watch Larry the Cable Guy. Health oh, do you Inspector. think they're, they're they're obligated to watch along? Like, yeah, there's one guy who's like, well, I mean, if I'm going to listen to the podcast, I got to watch what they're watching with them. Well, that guy's uh, dead now because we watched Bucky Larson. I know. 
And I bet he gets real pissed at this part because sometimes we tease episodes that never happen. Like we can't like if we can't find the movie and we just like decide to do something different. Yeah. Right, well, so, are, we, are we decided on Larry the Cable Guy then? Is that I what think, we're fucking doing to ourselves? I think the plan right now is Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector. <laughs> well, make sure to watch that and not... Uh, what the fuck was the other... Didn't he do another one? Like He did a motion or something? I, I actually... I, okay, I will precurse next week's episode with this. I'm actually kind of excited to watch this movie. Because I watched Witless Protection when it came out. And I, <laughs> I kind of enjoyed it. Well, what I will say... Uh, and I don't know if I've talked about this in the podcast. I am a fan of uh, the Tyler Perry Medea movies. Yeah. And he is in uh, Medea's Christmas. And he's actually kind of good and heartwarming in it. Like, he's the best part of that movie. Really? Um, yeah. Well, and then we're also fans of the Ernest P. World series, you know, too. So I, this movie does kind of seem like right up my alley. Even though, like, I hate everything Larry the Cable Guy represents. Like... like... I don't know. Is it an insult to Jim Varney's memory to compare Larry the Cable Guy to, to Ernest? Well, I, his movie's career. I mean, this is called Larry the Cable Guy Health Inspector. This is like Ernest goes to blank. Larry the Cable Guy, what is he going to be? By the way, did you is know... Is he a cable guy or a health inspector? Did you know that before he died, they were going to make Ernest goes to space where Ernest and a monkey are stuck in a space capsule together? That would have been the greatest movie ever made. Oh, no, I always heard about Ernest on the High Seas, where he was a, a, a pirate captain. Well, they re they actually made that movie as Pirates of the Plains with Tim Curry. They rewrote it as, like, a fantasy movie. Oh. Yeah. So that you can actually see. It's not great, but... <laughs> um, all right, so... <laughs> I, I've seen a Larry the Cable Guy movie, and I didn't hate it. I'm not going to say I enjoyed Same it. Here. I don't, so, yeah, I, let's, let's watch... Let's usually yeah. watch the one we haven't seen. Well, there's also Delta Farce, which I've never seen. I've never seen that one either, but... Um, yeah, I've only seen one Larry the Cable Guy movie. Career. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Larry the Cable Guy, health inspector next week. <laughs> so Fuck our lives. That, that'll be fun. So <laughs> until we see you again, get <laughs> off the shed. Turn your heart in my star. Sorrow